What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. I am Kalen Wojcik, one of your hosts, along with Philip Vallejo and Ryan Diagostino. In this episode, we are chatting about an upcoming masterclass that we are super excited to bring you guys, and it is going to be all focused on tripod shooting. And with the advent of a lot more field style matches coming into the mix in our industry and in our uh, in our sport, shooting from tripods is becoming more and more prevalent. And a lot of people are they struggle with shooting from tripods. And so we are going to take a deep dive into all things tripods in this upcoming masterclass. And this conversation is pretty much centered around the different nuances that we're finding while we've been taking this deep dive into doing nothing but shooting from tripods. And it's been pretty enlightening. So a lot of the tiny little details that we take for granted can really make a difference when we connect ourselves and our rifles to a tripod. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. But before that, I just wanted to chat real quick with you guys about the Modern Day Rifleman Network and what we have going on in there. Um, over at the modern day rifleman network, we have over 6,000 shooters in there that are completely organically grown. Not a single ad was used to bring people to that network. It's all word of mouth. And I think it's for good reason because everybody in that space is there for one reason and it's to improve their skills. And then another reason is to help other people on their pathway to improving their own skills. I've never seen an online community like it. And there are no trolls, there are no spammers, there are no memes. It is just a group of discerning shooters looking to share pertinent and relevant information that's just helping them get better at their hobby um, and their passion. So I just encourage you guys to go check that out as well as cruise over to the Modern Day Rifleman Monthly, which is called Journey of a Rifleman. And that is our monthly subscription service. If you're looking for sustainment training, look no further. It is a completely comprehensive, all-inclusive monthly training program that deals with both the physical skills of shooting a rifle as well as the mental skills of dealing with the stress of being a shooter and being a competitor and essentially just kind of help you become a better person by talking about the things that we need to talk about. So again, check out Modern Day Rifleman Network and Journey of a Rifleman. Now for real, we're actually going to get into the episode. So hope you guys enjoy this one. We certainly enjoyed uh, recording it and having these conversations and um, hope you guys garner something from it. Let us know. Tripod masterclass. Um, I don't typically want to roll right into it, but I think we've been obviously slacking on podcasts. It's just been busy. Been a busy been not to say trying times, but learning times. You know, absolutely. I always learning think times for sure. I always think back to the, what James said in in the UK, right? Um, about there's one thing about like being really good at what you do, but then like now applying that to a business aspect. I mean, it's I always think about that, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, hey, you could be really good at what you do, but if you suck at business, you're still gonna you're you're gonna suck. You know. And you're, you're, you're going you're to work for somebody else, true. right? You're going to work for somebody else who's exploiting your, your talents and your, uh, you know, your subject matter expertise, and they're going to build their dream off of your back. But like, yeah, you know, you, sure. you and I don't have that. Um, so anyways, um, yeah, man, dude. So 
Ryan and I just got back today. So today's the four, uh, 10th and uh, this morning we had out to the range and we did some kind of tripod deployment drills uh, because I wanted to kind of standardize something for the Mm-hmm. for all the tripods that we're going to be testing and, you know, create a uh, Excel sheet because before we were just putting on notepads and then like having to do the average afterwards, which was kind of a nightmare. But then like last night, as I was like, I had this epiphany of like, okay, how do we track all this data so that we can like start building a baseline in the standard. And so we did that and um, yep. it's cool. Even just with two, just two numbers so far, two, tri- two tripods, it's good to see already some data starting to formulate. And so I think as that yeah, starts, I'm, I'm excited bring to bring that into all of them and see, you know, and, and really be able to have, um, yeah, some data to look at, right. Instead of just saying, well, I think this one's better. And, you know, I think it's better because of this, it's like, okay, cool. That's your opinion. That's fine. But how does it stack up to all the others in an equal, um, in an equal test? And then you can aggregate that data over, different shooter proficiencies and all that stuff that's good stuff because then you might actually be able to see it one specific tripod shine um when the data supports it from a newer shooter versus somebody who is um you know a seasoned shooter right so you can be like oh okay well that one might be easier to use because the data shows that these times reflected even with new shooters it reflected that you know this tripod was easier to use or set up or deploy than others yeah that's cool man so you guys have been busy on video production and i have been busy on writing my scripts and content and you guys like i'm sure that everybody out there knows that we don't do scripts right that's just not our thing um doing scripts is uh I can't read off of a script and I know like we've had conversations where it's like reading off of a script is it just kind of way disrupts the flow. Um, and, but I think that learning from all the lessons past having really solid pre-production plans makes the production process far easier uh, or the capture process far easier because you already know what you're doing. And I think that, you know, we can all test that. So I'm making sure that everything um, that I'm going to talk about is kind of all laid out. And then I have a good idea of what it is that I'm looking for, uh, when it comes to that. So that way the, the, that the actual capture goes really nice and smooth. Yeah. And, uh, man, I, based off the way that we've outlined this too, and the way we've broken down the, the course uh, in terms of the different modules, it's definitely, I think going to be our most comprehensive oh, one. Oh, for sure. Hundred percent, man. And and beca- absolutely because of where the the direction of I shouldn't say the sport, but mainly with the growth of the interval hunter and kind of seeing that grow, blow up. Because um, you and I both already know how huge the hunting community is, right? But just seeing that interval yep. hunter league kind of start being successful, and then you know a lot of these even like sniper-esque matches right like the unknown snipers challenge and uh, those team matches that are starting to be a little bit more um uh available to the public per se right Mm -hmm. rather than just you know like isolating off to just snipers only you know um i think this class is going to be 
pretty popular amongst that that crowd. I mean, again, for the competitive shooters, oh, I agree. You know, I talk about it in in the master class, like, hey, you know, for for competitive shooters, and when I say competitive shooters, like precision rifle shooters in the PRS, like I've only I've only ever remember shooting off one tripod in a competition, right? So those guys usually yeah. buy tripods to uh support their glass right but i think for the other majority of the market like people are like wanting to know how to shoot from this thing because it's a lot i would say like the true essence of shooting from a tripod is a lot more different than shooting from a barricade i would agree with that as well there's a lot more going on you know there's a lot more that you have to address um, and if you take the time to address it, you're going to be able to build a better position from a tripod than you will from a barricade any day of the week. Yep. Hi, what's Ryan, up, Ryan. What's going on? Hey, dude. Old Buck just tried calling me. Oh, he did. I got he yeah. got a I got a text from him that I need to reply to, um, and. Uh, I'm kind of a crappy friend because I haven't talked to him in a really long time and I have to apologize first <laughs> before I do anything. Yeah, we've been playing phone tag since yesterday. So he was like, oh yeah, I'll give you yeah, a call cool. before 11 today. I was like, oh, no call. And we start the podcast he's a and he busy calls dude. me. <laughs> yeah, he's a busy dude. He's always he's always on the go. But man, I can't, I, the, that's just one dude. I can't think of a better a better human out there that's like, when you talk to him on the phone, like, you know, he wants to know how you're doing. He wants to, you know, it's nothing superficial with Buck, which is awesome. Yeah. No, he's a good dude. Never met him, but just from our conversations, seems pretty genuine. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the tripod yeah, um, masterclass, man, like it's, uh, we've been grinding, like Phil said, um, but it's been good because it's not just, it's not just filming. It's also... Also, like Phil said, like a learning experience, like it's training for us, it's reps, and I've been experimenting mm -hmm. with different things and and whatnot. So I've been through the process of this tripod masterclass. Uh, byproduct of it is I'm getting a little bit more proficient being clipped in, um, like in some of the results I'm seeing, making some changes on certain things uh, based on where I'm clipping in, the pressures that I'm applying and where I'm applying them to, when to pick it up and when to let off in regards to said pressures. Uh, so it's been, it's been good. Um, I'm looking forward to actually watching this entire, uh, master class as a consumer, even though like we're living it, I kind of want to see the entirety of it from like the customer's point of view afterwards, but it's so far it's turned out pretty well, but we're seeing like, there's a lot there's a lot of video editing that goes involved because it's like one folder, you click on it. Now there's like numerous folders in that one folder. You click on one of those, more folders inside of it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a lot. Yeah, it's a but lot. It's going to be a lot of good content well, for the guys that are going to be purchasing this. For so sure. And when you start, you know, you start looking at that um, content. I remember when I first started organizing folders and like looking into video work and going, okay, well like, okay, it is what it is. You see the the final production, but you don't understand what actually went into it. And then when you see what goes into it, um, and you see like all that organization and all those folders and all those files, and you're just like, oh my god, this is this already hurts. But it actually, when you learn how to do it, 
it's like, oh, well, yeah, now I understand why it's like that. Because everything is so easy to find, especially if you're the one who set it up. Now, if you're the one trying to decipher somebody else's mental process and organizational process, yeah, then it gets become, that's a challenge, you know, because um, you start uh, you start expecting to see things the way that you line them out and the way that your workflow is in editing. And once that gets disrupted or disrupted, it's just like you pulling your hair out. I said, I've opened up Phil stuff and I, I joke with him. I was like, man, you're so organized that it's unorganized for me. Like it's, it's so much. I don't even know where to dig into the look. Yeah. It's, um, let me guess, Phil, you are, you know, the way you organize it is probably the topic, the general topic, and then, um, video and stills. And then inside video, it's probably, um, a cam, B cam, C cam, trigger cam, iPhone, whatever GoPro. And then inside each of those folders is all the footage associated with each. Yeah. So it's like, so we could work, we could work off of each other's files. No problem. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. and, And that's where, um, we were, we kind of ran into some, uh, issues the other day just because of the, again, um, I mean, it organized, but it's not organized in a way that like makes sense. So like there was a lot of, mm. as we were trying to put together some, some tripod reviews from the studio of like, okay, Hey, I know we've got B roll footage of this that I can throw over the top. I just it, like, I was, mm. ta- it was taking forever to find it. And, you know, I, I think. I'm, I'm still, and this is where just the whole, like, you know, pre the organization and the, the pre-planning really helps, but, I, but also doing it, you know, like I think doing it a couple times initially allowed me to like truly see a, vi- a vision of like how I think the course should be delivered. Right. And I think that's one thing mm-hmm. that we, we do really well um, compared to all the other you know, training companies and online training things on the market with regard to long range shooting is just the way that we package our uh, materials, you know? Yeah. Um, the way it's organized and structured is the curriculum development, right? Yeah. The, the syllabus and then the development of the, of the curriculum that results. <clears throat> and that's how we get, you know, that's when people are like, dude, how do you get a shooter from there to there in such a short amount of time? Right. And then that's why it's just a, it's a really carefully structured, um, well thought out plan of saying, okay, well, this is how people learn in one of these three ways. So we have to incorporate all three of those learning modalities into this lesson and it's gotta be a progress. And yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's how we structured this course. And when I first started to conceptualize this and I shared the outline with you, Um, it's been, it's been, it's just grown from that and morphed from that. And it's just a, it's just a testament to the fact that we're not afraid to look at things and go, okay, yeah, that's an evolution there. We have to, we have to take a step back and look at that. Nope. That's not going to work anymore. Yeah. It was cool for a little while, but that's not applicable. It's not a legacy skill or whatever the case is. And, um, that's just the way it's got to be in order for you to stay relevant as a, as a communicator of a, of a skill, like the skill that we have. You know, it's funny. Um, I'm going to put Ryan on the spotlight here. I was, I think we're about to say the same thing, but go on. So, you know, one thing that we're doing with this, the tripod class is specifically when we talk about, um, 
you know, shooting positions, right? Our baseline positions, identifying yep. our baselines. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I taught, I, I taught my standing, you know, went through it from my A to Z and the, the idea behind obviously our master classes is like, okay, Hey, if I had all this time in the world with a student, how would I teach it? Right. Whereas like in our, in our, mm-hmm. in our in-person courses, it's like, it's so shortened because like we're, we're trying to be mindful of how much they're able to soak in and, and how much range time we want to actually give them. Cause you know, realistically we could probably spend four days in the classroom without shooting a rifle. Totally. Right. But people don't do that. You know, people don't come to class to sit four days in the classroom. So it's like we, no. all of our curriculum is still a really shortened versions of what our knowledge base is. Right. And so like, this is mm-hmm. where our online classes kind of shine through is like, okay, if I had, if I had, you know, 30 minutes with a person to teach him about the standing position, what would I cover? Right. Cause that's as, as long as it would take me to yeah. communicate that information. And so, um, I, so I, I, I went up, I taught what I thought would be, you know, like, Hey, this is how I do my standing position. And it was important that me, you and, and Ryan, as we talked about developing this, that like we teach kind of our own styles because a, I think it, it allows people when, you know, we have shooters from different heights and, and different tripods or whatever the case might be, or just different techniques or just different uh, ways of learning, you know, in terms of communication style. Um, I think, you know, if they watch all three videos, they're able to take a piece of information from all three of us. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. specifically sure. what, what we found is that styles of like that the tripod connection to the, um, to the balance point really, you know, it, is I think completely dictated based off of um, your your overall sh- uh, body mechanics, right? Um, because you know Ryan can't s- extend his support arm as long as you and I can, right? So it kind of mm-hmm. changes not the fulcrum point, but like how that rifle is is being driven driven on the on the on the tripod. So with that being said, so. I taught mine, realized I didn't have any audio, unfortunately, so I had to redo it. But then Ryan goes, so harsh, you know, and and um, you know, for Ryan, this is Ryan's first kind of tripod master master class that he's developing with us, right? Because I mean, Ryan's been a consumer prior to modern day cyber. Ryan is a uh, you're a uh, number four. No, you're a plank owner. Plank owner. Plank owner. Yeah. So. No you big know, deal. <laughs> you have you have done all of our classes, right? So now to be on the instructing side, there was some, I think, a learning curve for you there in terms of like, no, or, organ, uh, well, organizing your thoughts. I'll tell you exactly what it was. Yeah. It's not the, it wasn't the aspect of teaching it because like I taught tripod no, stuff yeah, with yeah. AHT, yeah. but it was the aspect of, I think the disconnect. Well, I wouldn't say disconnect, but where it gets in my head more is the fact that it's not like you know, a student in the class with you or several students or you and me or whatever the case may be. And it's like, we're having a conversation and I'm just telling you how I do things. Now I've got to tailor it and organize my thoughts in a manner that it's easy to digest on a video for the masses. Yeah. And that's where it is. So it's like everything I'm saying, it's like, I know what I want to say. It was just like the organization mm-hmm. of the thoughts. And that's where I kept tripping up. I was getting pissed off. I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I was like, I know what I'm trying to say, but it's not coming out. Uh, but it was good because it was uh, that ended up leading us into another idea yep. for this tripod masterclass and another tech topic to do. Because I, 
I was talking about how I always say no free lunch. You got to give something to get something and when to pick up, uh, when you're trying to gain more recoil management and sacrifice some of stability or gain stability, but sacrifice a little bit of recoil management. And then there's gray areas in between both of those. But in regards to how I was saying, it's kind of like how fast you engage a target, uh, size of target, distance target, and your capabilities as a shooter. And then I threw in the fourth one and I was like, I guess I would also throw in cartridge. So, or just rifle in general that encompasses the cartridge that you're using. Because if I'm shooting like a 300-yard target with a competition gun, that's maybe a 6 Creed that's 25 pounds with a muzzle brake, I don't need to apply the type of pressures, even though it's a fast round in a sh close range, because the recoil management is going to be solid like it's really light recoiling round and it's a heavy gun mm -hmm. so my time of flight might be short but it's i'm never going to come out of that reticle of my or i'm sorry i'm never going to come out of that field of view for that target even though it's a smaller target i can get away with minimal recoil management pressures because of the weight and the cartridge but now same example like 300 yards one moa size target but now it's like a 12 pound 300 wind mag well Yep. I'm going to have to increase that pressure to make sure I can get back into my field of view to analyze what just happened. But that same 12-pound 300 wind mag targets at 800 yards, and we'll still say it's a one MOA size target. I might not need to apply that same level of recoil management because I bought myself time of flight. So it's still a magnum, and it's got mm -hmm. a short time of flight, but I, it's a longer time of flight that's enough time for me to recover and let that uh, uh, sight picture drop back in to analyze where the shot went. So that's brought up a good point for a good point for what we're going to lead into, and we're going to have a a separate. Would you call it like a, just a separate category, Phil? Yeah, just a, yeah. a specific module demonstrating tech top. Yeah, yeah. It, it can, it's, it's a. I, I would like highlight that specific category of like, hey, considerations for time of flight versus stability. Right. Right. Because like. Like you said, you're you're sure. giving up, right? Because I mean, yeah. if if that that shooter needs to prosecute a target at seven or eight hundred yards, that's you know, um, only a, a minute and a half, two minutes, right? Like they don't need to be able to put so much emphasis into that rifle in order to manage recoil because right. they're mm -hmm. buying themselves time of flight at that distance, yep. you know, exactly. Um, and that's what I was getting into, where yep. it was like that that whole. Riding that spectrum, if you will, of pressures on the gun, more pressure, less pressure. But then that gray area is like, well, it's most stable when you're not even touching the gun. Cause like we've all shot, hell, I shot a 1200 yard target, not even being on the gun, just press the trigger from the side of the gun and the gun will just do its thing. But there's no wobbles mm -hmm. in. And then you get on the gun, minimal pressure, and you'll see that there's some wobble and I increase that pressure, you'll actually, at least for me, I'll see the wobble decrease at first to an extent. But then it's kind of like a wave where I've sucked it in, but now if I apply even more pressure, now that wobble zone's increasing more than it was when I was just partially sure. touching the gun. And so that's kind of that gray area, but I think a general rule of thumb that I kind of call it as like more pressure is typically more wobble, but better recoil management, and then 
less pressure, worse recoil management, but better stability. Now, as with everything, there's mm -hmm. always a gray area as well, and that's what we're getting into. And then it just comes with time and experience, I guess, is knowing when to pick it up and when to let off and based on that time of flight to the target and the cartridge that you're using. Yep. Yeah, I would like to uh, do kind of a similar test to what you guys are talking about. Uh, this is a freaking great idea because it is it is true and it's something that people need to consider. I was I was out shooting uh, my 7 Psalm um, this morning and shooting it from tripod and uh, just uh, I'm getting ready to go on a, a bear trip uh, next week. And yeah, I mean, you know, a 510 yard target with a seven Psalm from a standing position on a tripod. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to make sure that you were, yeah, you got to hold on to it. So, um, but like you said, like if I was out there with, you know, a 25 pound BRA at 500 yards, the same target, same situation, not even, I mean, the bullet's going to get there. Literally the bullets going the same speed. So, um, out of both cartridges, but the BRA doesn't move. So I can get away with less, less input, um, and less potential for less potential to have. What I've noticed is that if you've got a lot of pressure into the system and your natural point of aim is shaky at all, that's where that wobble zone really freaking shows up. And you're just like, man, why this is what's happening right now? This is usually not like that. And then it's just like, oh, if your natural point of aim is pointed even like a, a three quarters of a mil to the left or to the right or wherever, three quarters of a mil away from your your true center where you want the where you want the NPA to be, dude, that's enough to add a couple tenths of wobble into the system. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because something that I noticed today, which I've always noticed, but now that we're at we're being forced to have more data behind it for this masterclass to mm -hmm. provide instruction. I'm paying more attention to it. And I noticed uh, two things. First, I'll start with in the seated position. And I brought it up to Phil. I asked him if he had the same thing. I was like, in the seated position, do you find that your support hand, it like kind of lands in a weirder spot than low kneeling, high kneeling and standing? And he's like, yeah, I think it's just because like you're, you're more vertical. So sometimes I'll find that I just grab, I put my hand on the back of the ball head versus grabbing the forehand, mm -hmm. like a carving, like I usually do in the other positions. And that was one thing. The what, other thing. I, no, one thing that I just, what I do with my non-shooting hand in those positions is it usually just rests on the leg of the tripod. Yeah. Or yeah. that. Yeah. It just like, it just like naturally rests there because the rest of the position is, you know, I'm relying on that vertical spine and the, the, the neutrality that the vertical spine gives to help you with your NPA, because there's not really much you can do in the seated position to adjust that uh, other than kind of slide your ass around, which makes that position, you know, if you can, when you have the time to build it, it's super solid, but as a hasty position, it can be pretty shaky. Yeah. Uh, that's the, I, I'd say mine goes more on the back of the ball head or at least right around it or on it. Uh, just because like, I ride already further back. I'm on the balance point as opposed to you and Phil that go arm's length. Uh, but mm -hmm. the point that you said leads me to the second thing was the adjustability or ease of adjustability, I should say, with your body. And so I noticed with low kneeling, and which I've adopted the again since the Marine Corps, the right leg up, uh, my strong side up, because I find it's more comfortable to me than just both knees down. Mm -hmm. 
just propping that one up and I gain a little bit better stability by having another contact reference yep. point. Or not a contact reference point, I'm thinking of like pistol stuff. Uh, a uh, contact point for my elbow on the uh, right. knee or the inner pocket of it. And so what I found was in the low kneeling and the sitting, uh, I was doing this in the low kneeling and I've got the trigger cam footage to prove it. It was this something, I guess you can call it into intuition, I guess you can say. Did I just cut out? Okay. So this intuition and essentially what would happen was I sensed that my uh, NPA was a little off and I don't know why I sensed it. It was just like, you know, it just feels maybe a, like it needs to go a tenth to the right because now we're trying to, for this class, like what we're trying to do is blend speed with precision. Like I don't want to take my mm -hmm. sweet time and now I have a, a slow time but phenomenal precision or I have horrible precision but a crazy fast time. So we're trying to find that blend to have a, a fair assessment across the tripods. And so I was like, well, I'm going to hold I'm going to favor a 10th right of this black dot to try and get the shot off now but knowing that my body wants to go there. And when I didn't do that, sure mm -hmm. as shit it went about a 10th left. And then I was like Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to favor a 10th right. Not that I advocate for that, but in the sense of, hey, with experience and intuition and just knowing yourself as a shooter is like, okay, well, I know this just feels like my NPA wants to go about a 10th right and I need to get the shot off now because I'm on the clock. I'm going to favor a 10th right. And sure as shit, that's where it would, yeah, that's, it would land that's in. The, when people... Uh, a lot of people say, oh, NPA takes too long when they first like are exposed to it. I've had a tremendous amount of competitive shooters that are just like, why, why would you do that? Just free recoil, just point it at it and just like loosen up on the rifle and press the trigger. They, that's literally the, the, the verbiage I've gotten from some people. And once you start refining that precision and you're starting to aim at really small targets, uh, that might you might get away with that on bigger targets, but you're not going to get away with that on smaller targets that require um, more more pressure into the rifle to keep it where you need it to go because recoil management is also a critical role. And so, um, that understanding what you're describing is is what you're describing is true. It's proprioception because your brain knows that it's that your body's not where it needs to be with regard to where you want the bullet to go it's like driving your truck down the road you know what i mean like you're driving your truck down the road and you can just kind of feel yourself drift into the white drift into the white drift into the white and then your brain goes oh, oh we shouldn't be over there and it automatically directs the pressure into the wheel to get you back to center that's exactly what's happening and um i'm, gl I'm glad you brought that up too because i was chatting with owen yesterday and we started chatting a little bit deeper uh, it was a conversation a while ago. We were talking about what is like, what's going on in your brain when you're quote unquote, trusting the wobble, right? Like what's going on in your brain when you start to ignore, um, the, the aiming device, which for us is a reticle. And then you start focusing your, your attention on where you want the bullet to hit exactly on the target. And so he started to go into, uh, he was just like, man, I find that really interesting because he's all into neuroscience and he's into, um, how, um, 
your your body functions at a at a both a physiological level and a psychological level. And so he was on the phone with me yesterday and he said He's like, man, I can't wait to have this conversation. I was like, don't even start right now because I only have a couple minutes to chat with you because I know um, if we start talking about it, I said, man, all we got to do is just do a podcast and record it as we're talking about it. And so we're going to do that next week Um, because there's something to it, man. There's totally something to it. And um, it's managing, it's like trying to figure out how to manage that stress in that moment of like, the final at the final moments of pressing pressing the trigger and trying to keep yourself in a calm baseline you know response to that action even though it seems so simple right it's like so utterly simple it's like oh you're fucking aiming at the target just press the trigger it's just like well that's the secret to this whole thing called shooting that everybody's trying to figure out but I would only see that with like the low kneeling in the in the seated position. But I think that goes back to what you were saying, where it's like the lack of ease and adjustment because like now you're scooting on your ankles or on your ass and trying right. to slide over to fine tune. But you're like, shit, I'm on the clock. I need to get the shot off now. I'm going to just favor a 10th right and it's going to drive itself a 10th left into where the center is that I need. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that's what happened. Yeah. And the only, the only way you're going to learn that is to shoot small targets up close at a hundred yards, you know, and I started to learn a lot from, um, running mock stages on paper targets, minute and a half dots at a hundred yards. It was, it was an eye opener because then you look at it and you go, okay, um, six out of 10 shots were pretty much within a 10th of a mil, you know, half a 10th of center. Right. So pretty damn close. But then the ones that came from a little bit more shaky positions on a minute and a half dot, they're kind of getting towards the edge of the dot. And then you look at that and you go, okay, well there was, that was a no win condition. That was purely my marksmanship, right. That got that bullet to go there in this situation that I set up or scenario. Well, that's not taking into account wind. So if you've got a liner, you know, on the edge, whether it be left or right, depending on what the wind condition is, that could have resulted in a miss, if, especially if you didn't read the wind to within, you know, a couple miles an hour, right? And you held just two tenths incorrectly. Your fundamentals put the bullet towards the edge of that minute and a half. And then, you know, if you have a, an unfavorable wind condition, that's now a miss. And I think that a lot of times people look at that and go, oh, I'm missing because of wind. And it's like, no, actually you're missing because you've got a compounding effect. You got a stacked tolerance of both fundamentals of marksmanship as well as, you know, if, if you, if you were more centered in the plate with your delivery, then the wind is still going to hit left or right. And then you can go, okay, it's, it's a, it's a wind hold. And if you hit the edge of the plate, you're going to adjust for wind, but you're also potentially adjusting for fundamentals too. So just know that, you know, when you're, when you're making corrections, <laughs> so it's not always just the wind it's yeah. I'm just, I hit the fucking center every time I press the trigger. I did bring up yeah. to Phil on the range today though. I was like doing the seated one and I was like, Oh, this reticle is dead center of this black dot. It ain't going anywhere. And you go through that thought process. You're like, I'm the reaper. <laughs> like go and you press that trigger and you recover from recoil. I'm like, guarantee that center of black. And it's like a 10th or two left out the center. And I'm like, 
get right. the fuck out of here. I was like, what are you talking I, about? I'm glad you brought that up because that's an important thing to discuss too. Um, because not only when you start shooting for that level of precision, um, and, and we're talking the center dots on these targets are half of an inch, right? The, the targets that we shoot at for this test, they're half of an inch. Yeah, they're, they are a half an inch. Yeah, it just looks a, like a, a just, bullet dice. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's perfect, right? It's exactly what we want it to be. Um, because the smaller that you aim, the less aiming error that you're going to have. So now you're like, hey, man, that was rock solid. That was dead on balls. And I pressed the trigger. And why didn't it go center? You know, why did it land, you know, a two-tenths right or two-tenths left or a tenth, whatever it is. There's also recoil dynamics that have to be addressed that have to be looked at and you can start to isolate those from all these different positions and go oh i trend in this manner like i just shot a five shot group and in the high kneeling position that's the only position where my group is you know you know aggregate aggregate average over here a tenth low and a tenth right all the rest of them are pretty much centered up so what the hell is happening with that position, right? It's a recoil dynamic, right? So like what I want to try to do is figure out you, there's gotta be a way that, that you can correlate where those bullets are landing. And especially if you incorporate a trigger cam into it, you can figure out like what's actually happening in the dynamic of recoil. And then I think that there's also something to be said for your recoil recovery. So like you should be able to, to find some sort of consistency in plotting where your reticle was when you recovered to where the bullet landed on the target. And then if you throw the trigger cam in the mix and then you're having that third data point, you probably would be able to have a really good idea of, of why you're doing what you're doing and why it's going where it's going. I mean, you're going to figure it, you might figure it out eventually based upon like, oh, I'm going to roll my shoulder this way. Or, I mean, you, when you and I were working on that, just that little small coaching session and moving, getting your, getting the, the stock a little bit farther out away from your throat, just cleaned everything up immediately. And, but that didn't take, I mean, we had to sit there and look at it and, and break it apart piece by piece and say, okay, well, it's not that it's not that let's try to change this and boom as soon as we did you're like holy shit that was like instant and repeatable so there's a recoil dynamic that's at play for sure and i think what's happening there at least uh for me with that seated position is like i was saying with that hand placement still trying to go for that forend even though it's less comfortable in the seated position based on my body mechanics in the seated position it's probably if i had a camera behind me i could i I would bet that I would see that my left shoulder's rolled a hair forward, and now I've created an angle um, between the stock and my pec, mm -hmm. if you will, so that V, mm -hmm. uh, it's no longer a 90-degree angle, and so it's probably driving under recoil to that left, and that's where it's getting that one-tenth yeah. left, if I were to guess. So, yep. I mean, we'll be at the range tomorrow. Yeah, because three thousandths of an inch at the buttstock equals a half of an inch at the target. That's huge, right? And so, I noticed that too when we were shooting 338s a couple months ago. I noticed that big time. Um, if the shot felt like the recoil was different, the bullet went someplace else. 
there's just too much energy coming from that cartridge. Um, it's moving you so much that it's definitely going to take advantage of you in, in uh, unsupported or I guess alternate positions like tripods and fields type stuff. And that's something that though, that those guys really experienced. I think they were just like, Oh, you know, just shooting these rifles in the prone is one thing, but shooting them in positions is a completely different story. You have to be a lot more consistent with your ability to, um, the rifle just has to be able to recoil consistently from all the positions in order for you to get that level of consistency. I'd say, or the precision that you're looking for. I think all three of us, correct me if I'm wrong, Caitlin, but I think all three of us at that course shooting the three, three eights came to the conclusion, like you, you need to slow it down a little bit on your follow up shots. Because even like when, uh, we executed like, beautiful trigger presses like oh that was a clean press mm-hmm. you'd miss the target or mm-hmm. whatever just because we ran that bolt and re-engaged like it was a six creed and it was like mm-hmm. sometimes we hit it sometimes we wouldn't but it was like all right dude there's no way that happened so i'm not sure if a hundred percent of what that is because i've seen that in an ar if just a five five six and i competed at mammoth with it and i found that if i was trying to rip it at the speed of jesus and just bang 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 the level of precision with it opened up, which is kind of inevitable. Like you definitely see that with pistol shooting, like the faster you shoot, the bigger that group's going to get just inevitably. Um, but it's not because of the gun, it's you. So it's like, well, I'm wondering if there is some level that it is the gun. I don't know if it is or isn't until like maybe barrel harmonics, maybe it's still trying to recover and you just ripped it like at least on a gas gun. Um, well, there is something to be said, f- that, like, you know, the, there was, I don't know, probably what a year ago, there was a big talk in the ballistics community about, um, sample sizes. And it was just like, Hey, your little five shot magneto speed. I have a standard deviation of two actually means something. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, it just means that you need more data, um, 30 data points at minimum, uh, to get something actionable that you can go, yep, def- I, I can, I can pretty much guarantee that this is going to be the performance because inside of that, you might be witnessing an anomaly. You're not actually seeing a true, um, uh, a true probability of dispersion. And so that could also be at play as well with those bigger cartridges, um, increased dispersion size, just because of the size of the projectile itself and the powder charge that's behind it. Um, so there's that. I think that there's definitely something to be said for that because, you know, the guys uh, listening to the Hornady podcast, I mean, obviously it's an ammunition company, right? So they get to shoot a lot. You know, they shoot 50 round groups and they're just like, hey, man, a 50 round group is not even a 30 round group and a 30 round group's not a 10 round group and a 10 round group's not a five round group. You know what I mean? Like the aggregate size as the sample size increases. They're like a 50 round group from one rifle is it's large. Right. So, and they're trying to figure out like, Hey, what does this ammunition do over this amount of time in this, this repetition in these rifles? And that's what they got to do to, to test it to its maximum potential. And we don't ever have that ability. Right. So we're, we're not going to go out and shoot a 50 round group. That's ridiculous. Um, I wouldn't want to do that. Hell no. The time it would take between the barrel kind of cool a little bit too instead of just ripping 50 rounds off um 
it, there's something I kind of wanted to bring up to to you because it crossed my mind yesterday when I was doing some testing. Uh, now that you brought up like sample sizes and testing of you know how rounds are performing and statistics and stuff like that, and so I I'm testing a Sig Spear right now. Very very brief. Um, I got sent a, a uh, some ammo for it. Uh, nothing that I would not an amount that I would say is like, Oh, well this gun is this or it's this like, but it's an initial test. And so I'm not going to talk on the group sizes that I got yesterday, but what I will say is the first round sometimes, but like the first round would be a little low. Cause I would do a minimum of 10 round groups, especially cause it's a gas gun. And so I wanted to see a better average. So I did 10 round groups. And the first round, typically, as you know, Kalen, you're hitting that bolt release and it chambers around manually. Every subsequent yep. shot after that is being gas operated or piston operated, whatever the case may mm-hmm. be. In this case, it's uh, mm-hmm. long stroke piston. And so what happened was, or it was a short stroke, the point is it was piston. And so what happened was the first shot, I was like, hmm, I heard when I was doing that. Like when I talk to guys at Knights and Geisley, uh, guys that actually make the guns and, you know, have a part in it at least, they're saying that magazines can definitely affect uh, the group sizes and how I was like, well, I've seen this once before about three years ago on a pistol, like an old pistol. And I, the first round I chambered at five yards drove low at, you know, it was just five yards, but it drove about three inches low. And then the next four was like one hole. I just stacked the rounds and it was repeatable every time. And that was the difference between manually chambering the round versus cycling. So I went and I tested that afterwards where I just put one round in and then just keep manually inputting one round and manually chambering. So it would go from bull lock reload. Mm-hmm. Point, point of the story is it wasn't a, a repeatable thing that I saw. So I don't think it was based on statistics, I don't think I can confidently say, oh, well, that's what's happening with this gun in that mag because it didn't didn't happen every time. But I'm curious if you've seen uh, things like that because I know you do a lot of the gas gun stuff as well. I have, man, Um, and it's been a while. So obviously working for Magpul, you deal a lot with magazines and geometry and all of the things that go with reliably feeding a firearm with ammunition. And um, it's a lot more complex than people give it credit and uh, a lot of a crazy amount of engineering goes into those things. So what, um, uh, I got a phone call from Greg Hamilton and he was asking me if I had seen, um, any, any phenomena that would indicate that a, like a large frame gas operated rifle would print relatively two um, uh, opposite groups or two different, you know, larger trend, I guess, basically like if you shot a 10 round magazine, you'd have five or so that landed over here and five or so that would land, you know, kind of like elongate or stretch the group, if you will. Um, and I was just like, no, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, okay. Now that it's brought into my awareness, I'll pay attention to it. And what they had discovered at proof when they were, um, they were trying to get their new, at that point in time, it was the new cam gas system. And they were trying to get the cam gas system figured out for uh, 260 Remington gas guns and 6.5 Creedmoor gas guns because the port pressures are significantly higher from those two cartridges than they are a 308. And so they had to really kind of like 
relook at the gas system so that they weren't like literally destroying brass. I mean, it was fucking destroying the shit. You couldn't use it. You couldn't reload it if you wanted to. Um, and so what they discovered shooting through their Ailer, um, they, they have a, they have a, an Ailer, uh, target mapping system, right. That allows them to like super accurately map where the group sizes are and things like that. And they were like, they were able to see, um, through the data that specific magazines would do it. And then other magazines wouldn't do it. And in this case, they were seeing that consistently P mags would have this result versus like a, a Knights armament magazine would not. And so I was like, all right, cool. And then obviously my boss didn't like hearing that. He was just like, well, we don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It's like, well, okay, well they might, they, they might actually, um, we have to, we have to look at this, um, in the most objective way possible. Right. And so it's one of those things that I think if you have like the large sample size and you can like see it and you can see those trends, then sure. But other than that, it's, you got to kind of just rely on the fact that it's probably the natural dispersion of the rifle. Right. I think that's probably what it was because I couldn't repeat it. Yeah. Uh, every time. And these were P mags, Mm -hmm. the gen three, seven, six, two P mags. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. I was just kind of curious what you got from that. Yeah. Kind no, of that there's all kinds of those, the larger frame gas guns are, you know, they can, they can be a bear to get to They're shoot. Well. Yeah. Phil, you got anything mm-hmm. kind of, no, yeah, I, was let, I, was, I was letting you guys take the, take the lead. No, it's good, man. It's, it's, it's all these things that we're, we're finding out. It's been a while since, um, you know, we've actually trained, um, and uh, Ryan and I were just talking about this, like, you know, the, the time that me, you, or Ryan, me, Kaylin, or Ryan have actually like sat down or, or had the ability to like go test some stuff out, right. Has been, I mean, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I mean, it's been non-existent to be honest with you. Right. It's usually us meeting up at classes, training with the students. Right. But just again, regurgitating what our truths are, you know, but not like, okay, hey, like, this is what, you know, this is what we teach our students. And this is like, what we've, we're finding amongst ourselves at our level of shooting, you know, it's like, hey, are we teaching the most up to date stuff? And like, okay, why is this happening when we see this? And so I think this masterclass is really allowing us to like, now peel back the layers of like, okay, hey, this is, you know, now that we're pushing ourselves to like the next level of understanding or our next threshold of shooters, you know, we're starting to see certain things that uh, we normally wouldn't see with watching our students, you know? Um, yeah. And so it's good. I'm, I'm excited. I um, was just thinking about the, again, the, the standing portion of the, uh, of the course that we just, that, that we taught um, today, or I, I, I taught, I gave it a, a schwack at it because I wanted to give you some, um, some ideas of, you know, how I've, how I structured the, uh, the class. Cause you know, one thing that, you know, for everyone that's listening that we're, we're doing, we're creating this course, uh, completely remotely from each other, right. We're traditionally, you know, the, the last combined course yeah, that you and I co-located. did, we, we were co-located. So I think that was a challenge in, in itself, but I think we're still able to produce the same level obviously of, of, um, of, of content. Um, but I think for me to get the, 
ground running is just a already crazy, like a template for us to kind of fall back to of like, okay, agree as a team and figure out, okay, hey, we like this style. This is how we want to do, you know, all the tripod reviews. This is how we want to do all the, the teaching points with regard to, you know, the standing position, the no kneeling, uh, the sitting and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, cause one of the things that I also made a decision on, uh, was to shoot a 308, um, you know, just because it's that middle ground of, okay, Hey, it's, it's not really a hunting rifle, but it's not a 30 pound six BRA, not a gamer gun, right? It's like, it's, it's as middle a ground as I can be. Cause it, you know, I have my six, five Creed and that's a, obviously a, a, a nice cartridge jab, but like, I know that with a six, five Creed more that weighs 20 pounds, I'm still like taking a little bit of more shortcuts than I would traditionally with like a hunting rifle with my 12 pound six, five pair mm -hmm. C, right? So like, again, that 308 mm -hmm. is that middle ground of like, okay, Hey, I can't mess this up. I can't, I can't get sloppy on this. Cause it's going to exploit that in my trigger cam footage with regard to recoil management and, and, and stability. So, um, it's good. Um, what I wanted to talk about specifically for the, for, for our listeners, just so they have kind of an idea of what, you know, what to expect um, is, you know, we're expecting to release the tripod masterclass at the end of the month. Um, uh, I'm excited to hear, uh, your, uh, tripod history. I saw you ping the, uh, the, the, mm. the, the, the hogs then, um, talking mm -hmm. about the, uh, sending it, sending some, some pictures of some old dowel rods. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see that, that evolution there. Um, cause honestly you, your generation paved the way for shooting from tripods. Uh, in my opinion, um, because I know I'm sure your, your generation before that was probably a lot, all dowel rods. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I actually, I used dowel rods. Um, I used dowel rods when I went to sniper school myself, they were really? just, yeah, they were way easier, just super easy to set up. Um, and you could, uh, there's just not a whole lot of reliable camera tripods. Like you, you're going to Kmart at that point in time and obviously the budget of a of a young corporal is um young corporals aren't going out and buying really right stuff tripods you know what i mean like um they're trying to figure it out and they're going to sniper school at the same time so i just decided to use dowel rods because they're fast they're easy um you can make quick adjustments with them and uh, you can also make really minute adjustments in height by just moving the legs and eventually you'll get to feel for like how much you need to move to maintain your window, um, which is always a giant struggle, right? So, um, you know, the stocking exercise, it is what it is. Um, 99, I would say 99% of the positions that I set up in a quote unquote stocking environment, I would have, a bullet would have never made it to a 200 yard target. You know what I mean? Like we're laughing our asses off, right? We're just like, we're fucking ninjas and we sneak through the bushes. And from afar, we'll, you know, it's just like, dude, give me a break. The, the bullet's not even going to get there. And that's something that has to be realistically discussed. Um, but the positions that I did build, I used uh, shooting sticks. And then what I'm going to do here actually is um, I'm going to, um, I'm just going to make a set. I got a set of dowel rods here that I'm going to film and, and make a set while we're while we're going through this and it'll be cool because I'm going to actually shoot off dowel rods. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do a tripod evaluation off of dowel rods. And uh, obviously I won't, well, I could, I actually have, um, um, 
in Africa, actually, the last time I hunted in Namibia, that was all the pH has had. It was just three sticks and everybody shot from the standing position. And, um, it was, uh, like some of the dudes had literally just sticks like that they picked up out in the, out in the, you know, the prairie out there. Um, and, uh, some guys, the one, one dude had actually a set of sticks that were like designed and manufactured by probably somebody like a small gear company would here in the United States. And I looked at them and I was like, man, this is really well thought out the way that you guys, you know, they actually had a, um, a stitched, um, saddle, right. That uh, was connected to all three points on the top of the dowel rods, which was really cool. And it allowed your rifle to just kind of settle and, and make a, create its own saddle in there, which made, um, building a position a little bit easier because with shooting sticks, depending on, it's like shooting from a tank trap, right? The, the crotch of the tank trap, same thing with, with dowel rods. It's not always, they have to be in the right orientation for the rifle to sit in there without it being all torqued and shit. And so those are considerations of using that type of gear and you, you use them and you fiddle with it and you're just like, damn it, this is bullshit. Um, and matter of fact, I'm actually, I went through some of my old pictures and I'm sitting here looking at a picture, um, of my, uh, sniper advanced course in 2001. Um, shooting off of tripods, um, from the, uh, from the 700 yard line at range four in Quantico. So, um, that history, yeah, 2001, we were shooting off of them, but, uh, nobody was getting qualified at that point. They were just basically like, it was less in purpose. They were like, Oh, let's, let's go shoot off tripods for an hour or so. So. And, and mm-hmm. honestly, you know, when you look at the global war on terrorism, you know, OIF and, and, uh, you know, the essentially Iraq, right. And, and, and all the after actions, right. Led to, you know, tripods being a must at sniper school and then eventually a qualification mm-hmm. being developed out of it. And, you know, that's where I eventually, you know, found my love for shooting from tripods just because, you know, when we were shooting from tripods in the Marine Corps and then I started competing I realized that a lot of these competitors had never shot from a tripod, right? They just use their tripod to mm-hmm. support their glass. And I'm like, dude, there's so much, so many things you can do with this tripod. It's freaking nuts, you know? And you're, you're buying it just so that you can support, you know, your optics. <laughs> like, come on, man, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's where, like, I started to, like, dive into, like, okay, well, you know, how can I learn, how can I apply what... You know, I'm learning positionally from these barricades to tripod shooting, and then the very th- first thing that I realize is that that we're we're teaching these kids like I was, I've been teaching these sniper students all fucked up, right? Because realistically, like when you look at the <laughs> essence of shooting from a tripod, what is it supposed to do? It's it's supposed to help you clear an obstacle or or maintain a mm-hmm. position for a long period of time. And with the slip yep. tripods that was issued in the Marine Corps, like. You're not you're not in the low standing with sixty pounds of gear on for more than an hour. You're not even you're not even in that position for yeah. more than five minutes, right? Before you're just yeah. like fuck this, you know. And so yeah, you know, I like I just wish I had the 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 understanding of that, you know, eight years ago when we were you know developing curriculum, you know, CCRB like to let like you know people know like hey like why are we teaching this, right? Why are we, why are we, why are we expecting these Marines to perform these tasks that are unpractical and unreal, realistic, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, but I, I mean, agree, man. That, I mean, and again, that was eight years ago with tripods. Now, yeah, absolutely. Like build a standing position. You can you can stand there forever. But now that technique has changed because you know we've seen videos all over the fucking you know Instagram and stuff like that. People thinking the they're they're doing on the line. <laughs> People think they're doing cool guy stuff, but it's like your position is trash. Some guy tried to uh, take our video that I posted last week with Ryan and I doing tripod deployment. So he did a, do you, do you guys know what I'm talking about? No, he did I don't his, read the comments. No, anymore. I don't know. Okay. So he, he put, he put, don't read the comments. He put, oh, he put our video right next to his video. I did see and that. And he deployed like his, his tripod a lot faster. Right. And I'm like, I'm curious to see what that dude's trigger cam looked like. Uh, because I, I can guarantee sure. you it is nowhere near what our trigger cam looked like in terms of stability. It's like, well, call yeah. him out. Yeah. There you go. Call him out. Well, like, I didn't, All right, bro. If you're listening, I yeah. didn't, I didn't go say ahead, anything because I didn't me, know. Show me what you got with the trigger cam. Yeah, it's like, hey, uh, uh, if if your if that tripod that you set up or your position that you set up can produce a sub MOA group at in under thirty five seconds, then I'm all about it. To teach me your way, right? Because like, Who, right what now, was it? what's his name? Oh, I don't know. I don't. I, I can't. Let remember. everybody know what his name is. Yeah, I, I got a notification just saying that yeah. uh, Modern Day Sniper got ta like uh, affiliated in a re or whatever the case was, yeah, yeah, like something yeah. like he used our video, and that was a first for me. So I looked at it, and I didn't know if he was just like trying to be a part of it or he was like calling it out. I don't know. When there did this? No when did the? It was about a week ago. I, I'm pretty sure it, two it, weeks. It, it could be construed as two things. One. Yeah, that's why I didn't say like, anything. Okay, my trip the tripod that he was using is faster. He's faster. Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I didn't want to, uh, the position didn't look phenomenal, dive too far into it because I'm like, you know, oh, I, got, it's... I got better things. You see it? You see it? Kalen found is it. Is it this? Uh, I wouldn't even know the name if you said it. I, I like I zoned it in and then like it was gone immediately. Like I didn't care. <laughs> Oh uh, no, I don't think it's this one. I'm not saying anything because I don't want to. It was the uh, video. Be busted out. <laughs> it was like the four, the four part video. Well, it's not four parts, but it was like yeah, Phil yeah, Ryan, that, Phil Ryan. Yeah, the four, yeah. four sections. Yeah. And so he took that video and put it side by side to his video, and obviously yeah. deployed the tripod faster, got a shot off. Well, he he did a dry fire shot. Yeah, right? dry it's fire. like okay, you know, I could I could hey, I could man, do a dry fire, fire doesn't fire mean shit. Yeah. Dry fire doesn't mean shit. I mean, it does. Kind you know, of. I've, right? the, I mean, it, it does, but it, it doesn't because you can have a, a you can have a a trash you can have a trash body position and still get a reticle to sit in a target and yeah. break a clean trigger. That doesn't mean the bullet's shot. actually going to go there. Yeah, yeah you can true. never miss if you don't take a yeah. shot. Yeah. <laughs> so that's anyways. very true, right? So <laughs> this is why we don't we shouldn't read the comments. That's the that's the whole. You brought it up. There. Yeah, no, I did. This should have came up in the last just, podcast. I, you know how much I care about it. Yeah, zero, you guys, zero. you want to know how much I care about it? I just forgot. I was like, I fuck this. I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about it. Uh, so um, yeah, it's. I mean, you're gonna have people just like tagging on to the last podcast, right? You're gonna have people that are just gonna be like, "Well, I can do it better." Fantastic. I think you're yeah. fantastic. I, I mean. You should just congratulate yourself every day of how awesome you are. Well, but you actually have to be able to teach people how you do that. And yes. that's what separates and then you from us. And then teach and me fine. how to do that because I want to know how you got to yeah, that skill. Because I'm curious, wanna, right? Like I'm really, I'm like really want to know. For real. We're always trying to get better. Like how yeah. efficiently, yeah. you know, to, to, to streamline a process. And it was funny. Mm -hmm. We were, I was having this conversation with Ryan on the way back from our scout course that we did. 
you know, the conversations that I have with you all the time, Kaylin, after each class is like, okay, how, how do we, how do we make that better? Like, what is the best mm-hmm. way to take what we just did and make it more efficient? And, and what it is, the question is for me is like, how do I make it a 100% conversion rate? Meaning that like, when I say something, the way that I say it, it's a 100% conversion. Meaning like everyone just gets it. Yeah. It's right. Consumption. Yeah, yeah it's, exactly. It's a hundred percent consumption. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, you know, I mean, we've gotten a lot of feedback in, in that sense of positivity and saying that's pretty much, that's pretty much what we do. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that that's evident in the proficiency level of the shooters that are exiting even our intro course that have, right. They're, they're able to do, they're able to do a lot with a rifle in a very short amount of time and, uh, and be proficient with it. So, and that's the cool thing about doing these, the, these online classes. I mean, there's always the people that are like, Oh, you can't learn from an online class. It's like, well, I beg to differ. I think you absolutely can. And it's like what you guys were talking about in the beginning of this episode of saying like, Hey, now I have to, I have to craft like how I'm going to deliver this information. I know what I want to say, but I have to structure it in a way that I'm not going to ramble or, you know, cover more, like cover the same topic three or four times just through my conversations. And that happens, right? That happens when you're, when you're teaching things. And that's where video like production is really important to make sure that you can keep your audience captivated by not repeating the same thing over and again. So there is another layer of stress when it comes to recording classes for sure. For sure. That's kind of why I like actually doing live stuff. Doing live stuff is like, Hey, it's like the classic saying, fuck it. We're just going to do it live. And that's just how it comes out is how it comes out. <laughs> so I feel know. like it's more of a yeah. genuine, more con- you're having a conversation. Yeah. You're engaging. Yeah. I mean, you got so, people yeah, there, you sure. know, at least a reaff- affirmation Whereas, like with a camera, it's just like, get, you get it. Hi. Comment below. Please <laughs> What's comment. What's going on back there? Down below. <laughs> or, or you rewatch yeah, it. It's and weird. You, and you're, you're watching, you're like, Ryan said this, you watch it and you're like, oh, I wish I would have I've covered that. You know? Every time, dude. Yeah. I was like, oh, I crushed it. Oh, and I walk away. I'm like, damn that, it. Ryan. I forgot one get thing. used to that. I forgot that one thing. It'll, so, that's, oh. that's going to happen. So, and, and that's okay. It's but, totally uh, okay. But we no, are human beings. We're not robots. Well, I think that's where it comes down to where it's like that desire to have. <sighs> I don't want to say unrealistic expectations. Well, yeah, that, but also kind of like Phil, when you brought up the guy that used our video, I was like, well, Hey, I mean, if, if we're inspiring people to, to do stuff, I mean, yeah, usually it turns into either a meme or someone's using it in a negative manner. But point is like, it got enough attention to inspire people to do something or maybe try something different yep. or, or try it as well or whatever the case may be. I don't know. However you want to word. I'm usually a half empty mm-hmm. kind of guy, but I guess I'm a half full guy right now. Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, before, um, honestly, before the NRL hunter, I'm just trying to think, uh, no, I should like competition dynamic. Cause I think I, I haven't shot a competition dynamics match, but I've only, I've only heard about it. It's um, like mammoth and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they they. I want to say that competition dynamics kind of paved the paved the way for, um, uh, blind stages kind of hide hide. That's um, fair. Yeah. So, 
um, you know, tripod deployment was not really a consideration, you know, for tripod use, you know, even, even in, in yep. going through sniper school, like I gave my students plenty of time to set up, you know, like, it's like, Hey, you got five minutes. This is your prep time. And you got five minutes to set up yep. the position that you need to, you know, not, not 30 seconds. Right. It was like, it was mm -hmm. like, Hey, you've got this that much makes time, a difference, right? It makes a huge difference, you know, and it, it makes a huge difference. So, um, it, it's cool to, to now add that layer, right. Of like, okay, Hey, this is what you can do with tripods nowadays. And I think with this masterclass and, uh, I'm going to reach out. Um, I, I think I'm going to uh, put it in an email. Kaelin is like, Hey, help us get gather statistics. If you want to try it out, like, Hey, you know, this is our target. This is the test that we're doing. Send us your feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Send us what your scores are, right? Yeah, if you cool. want, if you want to do that. So we, so we can mm -hmm. start collecting and, and, and establishing a baseline of like, okay, hey, uh, a, a experienced shooter should be able to do this with their tri tripod at a hundred yards. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, or, you know, and then like, hey, if you're, if you're proficient or if you're brand new with a, you know, $500 tripod, this is the limitations of your equipment based off of your shooting skill and your, and your equipment, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. you, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be forced to thinking that like, okay, you know, I don't have a $1,500 tripod. Okay. I get it. So that we, at that point, I'm not expecting you to shoot sub MOA groups from the standing. Right. Mm -hmm. But you should, you should also know that like, you shouldn't be taking sub MOA shots. <laughs> You know, um, thinking that you're missing because of environmental factors. No, you're missing because you suck as a shooter. So, yeah, yeah, and that's where, like, going back to that's why shooting stages on paper at 100 yards for me was a huge eye-opening experience. And it was just like, oh, okay, well, that's just more things to think about. And um, if you can, I, I mean, I, I learned that talking to Robert Brantley. Uh, during the summit interview that we did a couple years ago and it was just he was like uh yeah this is how i train and this is why and it's like damn that makes a lot of sense robert i'm gonna try that so i'm i'm super pumped for this whole thing and um i really enjoy uh, i'm really enjoying putting it all together and i know that this is going to be by far um, out of all the master classes that we've released it's going to be by far the most comprehensive the most in-depth and the most detailed for sure. Something I was, uh, just to uh, touch on real quick. Um, I was talking to Phil about this. We talked about this a lot, actually, uh, in the sense of like trying to like Phil, how you said, how can I do this better? Like t teaching the class or something, or how can I do this better? What can we do differently? I, I do that same thing, not just for the classes, but like for myself as a shooter. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, especially when, you know, we're dudes. So it's like the competition side comes out a little bit and you start looking at like trigger cam footage. And I'm like, damn dude, my recoil management, uh, doesn't appear to be the same, uh, as yours. But then we, I try and take a step back and look at what is the goal of recoil management? I think Kalen, you s said this to me, uh, I was like, what's the goal with recoil management? It's to be able to fire that gun, drive the gun where it needs to, and then be able to get back on target to analyze whether it was a hit or a miss or where'd you hit or where'd you miss or whatever the case may be to collect information. Mm -hmm. 
Did you accomplish all those tasks? Mm -hmm. Yes. So does it matter how much it jumped up or how little it did? Not necessarily, but we want to strive for better because, I mean, the same thing is like with when I was teaching pistol stuff. It was like there's guys that can rip it in all A zones, but their muzzle's like coming up higher than the other guy. The other guy seems to be shooting it flatter. But then I'm also trying to look at it like, well, I think a lot of it is like body mechanics. Like it's no secret. I'm a, I'm not a big guy. <laughs> so it's like, uh, Phil, I think you've got what, like 20, 30 pounds on me. So then you being on it, uh, whatever the case may be, well, you're also like four inches taller than me. So <laughs> you should at least have that much weight on me. And so the aspect of, well, bigger dudes, I mean, as long as everything's, all things being equal, form, technique, function, whatever the case, whatever you want to call it, theoretically, you know, bigger dudes are going to have an easier time doing it. So it's like trying to have that mindset of like realistic goals and then what's it accomplishing. But I think that's something that this masterclass has like been bringing to my the forefront of my brain is like, okay, well, let's be realistic here. What are we, what are we trying to accomplish? What are we doing? And am I more focused on this shot with recoil management or with stability, like I was saying earlier on in the podcast? And so then trying to analyze that. But again, it's that striving for perfection. Like I honestly, like realistically wouldn't, like I won't even be happy knowing me unless I can pull that trigger and the gun recoils like a pellet gun, even if it was a 50 BMG. Like unless it doesn't recoil like a pellet gun, I'm probably not happy, which means I'll never be happy if that's my expectation. But that's kind of that level that I'm always trying to strive for, which is kind of hard on the mindset where it's like you need to be realistic, but it's good to have that goal to be better. And so hopefully the this masterclass inspires guys to do that because, I mean, hell, like I'm in it teaching it and it's an, inspiring me to do more. Like what can I change? What can I do here? Should I apply more pressure with this? Can I get away with applying more pressure and still get an acceptable amount of stability with it, but better recoil management and whatnot. But again, it goes back to what's the goal of recoil management and are you checking mm-hmm. off all those boxes? So, I've, got a, I've got a headspace mm-hmm. hub um, that we've done in the past I can have you listen to about being kind to yourself. I don't think that'll <laughs> yeah, ever happen. Yeah. Many people have tried. <laughs> uh, shameless plug there. No, no, I, that's good. That's good stuff that that you brought that up because it's it's true, right? It's um, we can easily get lost in in comparisons, but you know, I think at the same time, this allows us as instructors to test ourselves. Like I said earlier, you know, because typically, you know, we're always in front of students when we are training with each other. When we are, we when we do have time to train, when we're not creating content, and you know, typically our you know we obviously will shoot better. Um, than our students on a consistent basis yeah. versus, you know, yeah, sure. They, they maybe they'll, they'll shoot an event better than us because we made a bad wind call or whatever the case might be, but consistently, but consistently. And and so mm-hmm. I think with this, when it's just us three that are comparing our data, it, I mean, it, it I mean, yes, our ego is going to get checked. It's a, a high bit, level. Right. Of, and, yeah. <laughs> and, but that is the only way to get better is by surrounding. And that's why I love the competition circuit so much because like, I mean, again, if you think that I'm good, think about the other 200 competitors that are just wiping the floor right now uh, yep. in the, in the, in the, in the, I would say in the, in the PRS, right. With their whatever pound rifles, but I would say like easily the top 50 in the nation right now are so fundamentally sound. You put whatever rifle in their hand, they're going to do well. Right. Yep. 
Uh, and no, and no I think what. that is inspiring because the level of competition has just grown so much and what you can do with a precision rifle nowadays is just it's it's pretty i mean i would have never expected to be able to take you know first round shots from the standing at 900 yards on two moa targets you know what i mean mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. whereas because like that was like 300 yard standing was a qual and 20 by 40s and we do it all the time now. yeah and we do it all the time <laughs> yeah. for fun you know so it's, it's oh yeah it's cool to see that yeah. level and and uh i mean the only way that you know, we, we do that is by, you know, pushing those, 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 uh, boundaries, um, being aware of it, right. As, as you, you've clearly dictated, cause like, you know, people that are not aware are the people that go to a competition think, think thinking that they're going to do well, get their fucking asses crushed and never show back up. Right. And then make every mm -hmm. excuse in the book why they shouldn't be training more. I'm just like, Oh, I've, I don't have time, you yeah. know, all that thing. So it's good. But, um, Man, I'm ex I'm excited. Um, it's gonna be a good good one. So if you guys are listening, put that on your calendar. August 29th is the release. If you guys want more details, head over to the Modern Day Rifle Network. I will be um, well. We will be putting little teasers throughout the month, um, and then, uh, like I said, I want to push out that that uh, that data for the tripod deployment so that we can collect it via email. So if you're not on our email list, get on our email list by heading over to our website. So that was good. Yeah. 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 All right, guys. Well, right on, guys. have a good weekend. Um, we will see you guys in the next episode. If you guys are listening to this and you guys are new subscribers, uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the modern day sniper podcast. And if you guys have been with us since day one, sorry for our absence. It's just been a really busy year, but we appreciate all the love and support that you guys have given us. And uh, we hope to train with you guys soon. Until then, you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun.